Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone. So today's episode is very, very exciting. I've got the one and only Dr. Ned Halliwell back on the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. Um, I'm genuinely so excited because to be able to speak to someone who's worked in this area of being able to see how the involvement, the evolution of um, neurodivergence has presented over the years and to be able to really ask him the questions and see what he's noticed. And he understands the nuances of ADHD like no other. And so um, I'm delighted that we have this exclusive conversation, this interview. Now, Dr. Ned actually wasn't feeling well on this day and we had a few sort of tech issues at the beginning, very ADHD, but we finally got there. But in true ADHD style, Dr. Ned is um, doing all sorts of things while we're talking and I didn't have the heart to to mention anything. So if you do hear a bit of cluttering or rustling, um, just know that Dr. Ned is fully present chatting away to me, but he is multitasking at the same time. So I just wanted to give you a bit of a heads up. But genuinely, I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was an absolute privilege to speak to him. And I hope that this conversation helps you guys, helps you understand and uncover your ADHD and find full radical acceptance and self-compassion for who you are and what you're meant to to be and um, how you show up in this world with purpose and fulfillment. So here's this week's conversation. Welcome back, Dr. Dad. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. It's it's so nice to be with you. And you have a new book. The book's called ADHD Explained. Now, I'm still raving about your book, ADHD 2.0, which is here. Um, It's it's always on my desk. I talk about it all the time with my clients. And it's for me, it was a a real savior. So can you tell me a little bit about maybe what the difference between 2.0 is and ADHD explained? They're very different in format. 2.0 is, you know, straight uh, standard text with prose. And um, it's very short. It's only 100 pages, but it's a standard book. Whereas ADHD Explained is is full of illustrations. DK, the publishing company, they're famous for their children's books, and and which, of course, have illustrations. Well, this is for adults, but it's also got a lot of illustrations. And so it's short, it's pithy, it's epigrammatic, it's a soundbite type thing. So it's ADD very friendly. And, and hope, the hope was to bring ADD to the Brits, you know, because for the longest while, you guys have been of the stiff upper lip model of, of yeah. dealing with ADD. And, and uh, that, that model is, is not, a, not a good one. So we, we hope to present it in a way that people will read it. You know, that, that's the challenge. Get people with ADD to read a book. Yeah, and, no, and this, absolutely. This, this, is, this is the you can do it. It's so visually appealing. It's, even if you don't like to read, you can tackle this book because it's full of illustrations and diagrams and 
and it's funny. It's but it has the information that you'd find in in my other books. It's. I mean, it's great to hear because I think so many of us learn in different ways, don't we? And we absorb information and process information in different ways. And right. I hear, you know, so many times um, to sit and read a whole book when we've got ADHD is really difficult. I found your ADHD 2.0 very digestible. And I sat and I just dedicated a night, every night, a different chapter. But I think I definitely learn better audio style. I listen to lots of audio books and podcasts. Yes. Yes. But then sometimes just have something in black and white, something like a, a diagram or a doodle or something yes. like that, where you can yes. just straight you away understand it. it. Right. Yeah, you right. can straight right. Who Who's the book target is that? Is it adults? Is it children? Oh, adults. It's, yeah, definitely adults. Yeah. The, the, okay. We, uh, uh, you know, the feeling was that adults are the biggest undiagnosed market around the world and and in in england you know uh, you guys like i said you guys are coming out of years of stiff upper lip and yeah. so you know you still have people over there who think this diagnosis doesn't exist that it's just a stupid american invention and and you know so so uh you know we have to show them otherwise because it's such a wonderful condition to get diagnosed because you can really change you know you can change a person's life more dramatically, this condition can change someone's life than, I think, more dramatically than anything we diagnose in, in, in all of medicine. Yeah, I agree uh, so, with you. So it's good news when you get this diagnosis. The, the bad news is when you don't have the diagnosis. Yeah. I have a lot of people that message me and say, because of the podcast, I've just recently got my diagnosis. And my response is always congratulations. Because like you say, it's like, finally, thank goodness, we, you know what's going on. Well, and why don't we, in case someone like that is listening now, why don't we tell them what it looks like? So if you're listening now and you, you don't know what ADHD is, it is a condition, it's a way of being in the world is what it is, that's genetically transmitted. You're born with it. It's a combination of, of blessings and curses. The the downside of it is you can be very impulsive, disorganized, uh, trouble getting get planning, uh, so-called executive function. You can forget things. You can leave your coffee back on the counter. You can leave your briefcase sitting on the side of the road. You, you can uh, get off at the wrong stop. You, you can seem like uh, you know, you're an absent-minded professor. And what that ends up doing is a lot of people with this condition underachieve. They know they could do better but they don't know why they're not doing better. And, and that's because they, they don't know that this thing exists. If you think you have it and, and uh, you know, based on that, that you've got what I call a race car brain with bicycle brakes, your brain is a runaway brain. It's going a mile a minute. It never stops like a popcorn machine, pop, 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 just constant ideas, thoughts, images, and yet you're not able to direct it. Well, that means you're underachieving, probably. Yeah. And the beauty of it is if you find out that this is what you've got, uh, the medication can act like a pair of eyeglasses or a, a pair a set of brakes. You can slow your brain down enough to, to, you know, get something done and you can focus well enough that, you, you know, you can see another analogy. It's like eyeglasses. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of people who have this are, are struggling uh, just to focus at all, to, to get and get their ideas out. So once you learn about it and you get the insight that that comes with the diagnosis, it just that is a relief that you you don't have uh, you not you're not stupid 
and you're not lazy. A lot of these people have carried their whole life the labels like stupid, lazy, spoiled, wayward, incorrigible, stubborn. We are, so we do tend to be stubborn, so that one's okay. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, we're we're, we're very strong-willed, passionate. Uh, we're fun people. We're strong, passionate people. But but if you have it and don't know you have it, just what I'm saying now is probably grabbing your attention. You're like, really, really, really? Because then suddenly you have this reaction of, my God, there's a name for it. Yeah. And then, yes, there is. And then there's something you can do about it. Um, you know, the combination of coaching, sort of learning about it, and medication can be absolutely game-changing. Now, some people are afraid of medication. You don't have to take the meds, but they work. When they work 80% of the time, it, they work dramatically well. And they're, you know, given properly, they're very safe. So, so most people don't want meds, but it's not for any good reason. It's they're basing their opinion on wrong information or lack of information or both. Yeah. And so if you learn about the meds, you won't be afraid of them. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I know that there's been circumstances where people have tried different meds and it's not quite worked for them. They didn't like the feeling. I mean, I was only speaking to a client today who tried a few different ones and was on it for a while and then came off it to go on holiday and actually realized she felt better within herself now that she had the awareness, now she had had the diagnosis and she was seeking help in different ways, that the medication she didn't feel that she needed right then. But interesting, she was a doctor, she's a GP, a general practitioner, and she um, has made a decision that if she needs to go and study or she needs to go to a seminar or if she's got lots of paperwork, that's when she'll use the medication. So she's sort of curating a, a way of being with the medication. And I, I understand that very well. When I see the medication work, when I hear that it works, it's incredible. I'm so happy because mm. people say it's life-changing um, oh, and how they can all of a sudden like feel like they can be like a human, they say. They just say, now I understand how everyone gets things done. Now I understand why people can finish their tasks. And they didn't understand that before. And it's incredible, the awareness. And I know you talk about the UK. This this podcast is global. I actually have more American listeners than UK listeners, weirdly. Oh, no kidding, really? Good for yeah. you. Wow. wow. So, and it's, it's interesting, but the UK is finally coming up to speed. We are definitely very much behind, but we're finally, we're still on the backlog for sure. But even just the past year or so, you know, just the uh, awareness and the acknowledgement, there's a lot more training going on with GPs and they're really understanding, but we're still very far behind. And I know that your books for sure, you know, just handing a book to someone who works in healthcare profession where, you know, I've been speaking to, I mean, I do a lot of work now with women and hormones. So women can really understand the interconnection between how their hormones may interplay with their ADHD. They may feel different at different times of the month and just that awareness alone for different doctors so they can understand when around birth control or um, menopause and all these different intricacies that women have felt in different periods of their life, you know, postpartum, the week before their period, or as they're entering perimenopause, this is when women are starting to feel very different and their ADHD is kind of starting to flare up, you know, in a very unmanageable way. What I'd love to ask you is, you know, you've written all these books throughout all the different decades, you've been part of this field for so long, you are the pioneer of ADHD. And you've just written this new book. 
what new findings are you still, you know, learning? Like, what are you still learning about this condition? And what's still blowing your mind about it? What makes this uh, way of being, if you will, so interesting is I'm learning all the time. The recent discovery for me is out of brain research, neuro uh, fMRI, the so-called default mode network. And what, what we've found is that when you're doing something, your imagination lights up when you're doing something creative. It lights up and, and four different regions create what's called the task positive network, the TPN. And that's when you're at your best. You're, you're creating, you're building, you're dreaming, you're, you know, you're, you're achieving, you're accomplishing whatever it is you're building and creating from a house to a book to a, you know, to a, a pie. Um, but when you've finished building, creating, whatever it might happen to be, the TPN, the Task Positive Network, shuts down. People used to think the brain just takes a rest. No, 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 no. Uh, what lights up are four other regions, all part of the imagination. This is all part of the imagination. You know, it's interesting. The imagination, uh, which we know is very, very real, we don't know where it is in the brain. And I think it's all all through the brain you know so but anyway the, whatever it is it's called the imagination it lights up when the tpn shuts down and it's called the default mode network for other regions in the brain and for us with ADD, for some reason it tends to send out just horrible messages about uh, our, ourselves our lives our futures it it just lays us out it attacks us and um, it, it's sort of the your imagination turns against you. While your imagination is our greatest asset, we'll build and create things, then it can turn against us and, and become our worst enemy and, and just eviscerate us. So <clears throat> when that happens, you know, that's why so many people with ADD brood and ruminate and catastrophize, have anxiety. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's often mistaken for depression, but it's not depression. It's just you're in the grip of the DMN, the default mode network, which I call the demon. You're in the grip of the demon, and it you don't, doesn't respond to antidepressant medication. What, what it responds to is doing something else. But that's hard to do. The reason you pay attention to the demon is it's gripping. And remember, we're always looking for high stimulation. Well, contentment is too bland. You don't say she was riveted in contentment. But you do say she was riveted in fear, self-hatred, life hatred, you know, conflict, uh, self-attack, all of that is riveting. And that's the gain we get. We get the what we're always looking for is a stimulus strong enough to hold our attention. So to, to shut it off, you have to redirect your attention, which is not easy because it, it's so gripping, this, this, this negative onslaught, it, it, it does hold your attention. So you have to have sort of a Rolodex of what other things can I attend to that will allow me to shut off the DMN? Could be vigorous exercise, could be loud music, could be um, uh, cooking something, could be making love, you know, could be anything that, that you could get involved in that will hold your attention well enough that the T the DMN will shut down, and the minute you you withdraw your attention from it, it's gone. It it, it can't it can't live for a second without your attention. So people will sit there staring out the window, just just in a horrible place mentally, just lambasting themselves. And and what they need to learn to do is just to 
switch channels, you know, tune into something else. Yeah. Uh, but, but it has to be stimulating enough that it can take you away from the demon. So I'm just interrupting today's podcast just to give you a bit of an update on the different events and workshops that I've got going on. I don't want you guys to miss anything. So you may have seen on social media that I have an exclusive event with ADHD Pioneer. She's a psychotherapist and author, Sari Solden. She's been on the podcast. It was about a year ago and she is incredible. She's written numerous books, um, but her book, um, which has been pretty much on my desk ever since I started coaching ADHD women, A Radical Guide for Women with ADHD. ADHD is incredible. And I recommend this to so many people who've just been diagnosed. So when she came on the podcast a few, well, it was a year ago, I said to her, I would absolutely love to do an event with you. And finally it's happened. So this is happening on the 19th of October at 7 p.m. UK time. And we're going to be doing a live conversation, interview, but also a Q&A. So if you show up live and you're there, you will get the opportunity to ask Sari anything you want with regards to neurodivergence, ADHD, and really kind of tapping into her knowledge and wisdom because she's seen it all in her 35 years of being a psychotherapist in this area. So all the details are going to be on my website adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. That's also going to be on today's show notes. Please head to those links and I promise you, you will not be disappointed with this conversation with someone who really knows her stuff and has all the answers, I hope, for anyone that's just starting this journey with ADHD. And also, if you head to my website, you'll get an update on a nervous system four-part workshop that I have created. And this is all based on polyvagal theory. So if you are interested in help with regulating, calming, soothing your nervous system, that you really notice that you live in a very sort of hypervigilant, sympathetic um, state of being in this sort of place where you don't quite feel settled and you want to be able to find new practical tools and daily practices to help calm and regulate, I would highly recommend you have a look at the workshop series and see if it's for you. There's only a few places left. And finally, just to let you know, the hormone series is still going strong. I can't get over how many people have downloaded it. And I'm adding new content right now. We've got two new speakers that are just going in, Kate Shepard-Cohen and Nicola Harker. Nicola is a doctor and she specializes in self-compassion. And Kate Shepard-Cohen created the Menstrual Cycle Support Resource, which is going into over 500 GP surgeries as we speak both incredible women who know their stuff, who really understand the neurodivergent women, the impact of hormones and how we can help ourselves through these challenging times. So all the information is on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. Now back to today's episode. So what's interesting, so this summer at Cape Cod, I um, learned, did the five-day course with Deb Danner, um, who is all, you know, the polyvagal expert. And absolutely, I'm really fascinated by the nervous system and really fascinated about um, regulating what I believe is there's an ADHD nervous system and really being able to understand how our nervous system, you know, plays. Um, it's all integral because of our heightened, I would say, hypervigilance or anxiety, which is all connected to the DMN. And obviously she talks about this notion of like triggers and glimmers and the glimmers being that distraction away from our DMN. So we're finding every day a little something, a glimmer that we can pull back, so we can pull away from the anxiety and the catastrophization. 
And that's really, really helped me. And I've been sort of working with clients about that, you know, really just honing in and what glimmers can you find on a daily basis, an hourly basis that can pull you away from that DMN. Do you understand what I mean when I say the ADHD nervous system? Explain to me what you mean by it. It's very interesting. What What is the ADHD nervous system? The way I perceive it yeah. and how I um, understand it through my lens is never quite feeling like settled, that we're allowed to rest, that it's okay to rest, that we're always on the edge. There's always something else or there's something, something we've missed or something we've overseen. Maybe we don't feel like we belong somewhere. So we kind of don't feel quite safe. So it's like the way I sort of describe it, it's like a hypervigilant state. But is it always negative? I mean, what about the times when we're very constructive and creative and, you know, we're, we're not, we're, so it, it, it's got to have a, a positive element. There is a positive because it makes us high achievers, ambitious. We get things done. We're efficient when we want to be, when we're interested, we're hyper-focusing. But then on the flip side, I see a huge amount of burnout in my practice. And a lot of women have these cycles. I mean, I only deal with women. So I work with a lot of women who have experienced cycles of burnout where this is not sustainable to live in this hypervigilant state right. where they're getting lots done, but right. eventually they crash, you know, the endocrine system, the adrenals or whatever you want to say, you know, say, but eventually it's just they've not given themselves this permission to rest or to slow down. And how does polyvagal stuff figure into it? Because I think it's really interesting to learn how to regulate our nervous system so we can see where we are in the situation, in the place that we are, and recognize maybe what our triggers are, how we're feeling in the moment, and find practical tools to help us feel calmer, safer, more relaxed, maybe just accepting and more compassionate about who we are and where and why we're like this. And hopefully each time, I mean, I, I just genuinely believe that being ADHD, we're just constantly learning. We have lesson after lesson after. <laughs> we're, we're sponges. I mean, we are yes. endlessly curious. Yeah. We're endlessly curious. And it yeah. can get us into trouble sometimes, you know. Yeah. Uh, to our detriment but, sometimes because we sign up for things. We agree to things. We commit to things. We'll say, yes, yeah. we'll do another podcast. Yes, I'll do another degree. And then we realize. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. And then everything comes, you know, crashing down. And unfortunately, there's, you know, there's a price to pay for that. And I do see that. And I see that a lot with, you know, again, I sort of say women, especially women who are mothers, who have got careers, who are ambitious, like you say, curious, they're learners. They want to do all the things, but then their nervous system crashes. And unfortunately, we can't quite keep up. It's like our nervous system can't keep up with our brains. So we have to learn to put those brakes on that you talk about, but maybe in a more sort of like gentle way in a way that feels more sustainable that sometimes doesn't feel as exciting unfortunately but it has to be a sustainable way or find the exciting things in things that don't feel as I don't know as difficult all the time um, I'm still learning and I'm still you know guiding guiding people but I very much I think my, I definitely refer to the ADHD nervous system because I really relate to that and I and I feel like there's a lot of other women that do as well and I'm just curious about your take on that. Oh, I think you're spot on. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's a, it's part of what makes us different, you know, and, and uh, 
we're different in a wonderful way, or it can be a terrible way if we don't know how to manage it. But if we know how to manage it, then our difference is is an advantage, if you will. And I like I wouldn't trade my ADD for the world, and I don't think you would trade yours. I probably not, but I do sometimes. Like when you talk about the DMN, and I can go into those places. I mean, my default beginning of any conversation is what if what if this happens what if that happens and I create all sorts of scenarios but I've checked myself now I I see it I hear it and I'm like okay what 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 am I saying like this what if and so the awareness for me has been the biggest gift because I can recognize that DMN and see it for what it is and see it's not real. Like all the what ifs that I'm coming up with, they're not real. Some may be real. I, I, wrote, I wrote a whole book about worry in one of the chapters was the infinite web of what if. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's infinite. It, every what if begets another what if and another what if. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But you see, that's true. That's, that's why people who worry a lot, like me, uh, we tend to be very smart and very creative. Because it takes a lot of smarts and creativity to dream up all the crap we worry about, you know? <laughs> so you relate to worry. That's interesting. So you're a worrier. Oh, yes. Terrible. I've learned to, you know, the tricks that I'm telling you today, you know, to change the channel. But it still intrudes. And, you know, I, I still walk around with this with this forbidding, with this sense that, that something bad is going to happen. And... Um, uh, you know, it's it, it's 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 pre-verbal. I just have this. I live in a state of of subdued fear, and um, you know, and and uh, I, I I happen to believe in God, but religious faith doesn't touch it. I mean, you know, Jesus said, "Fear nothing." Well, I, that's lost on me because I I fear so much, you know, and and uh, I found the best antidote is is not medication, but it's a human connection. So I, I have a, a mantra, that never worry alone. You know, worry becomes toxic when you worry alone. From one worrier to another, what are your worrying top hacks? Because <laughs> I would love to combat this. I have a mum that's a worrier, I'm a worrier, and I've got a daughter that's a worrier. And we're all ADHD. Number one is never worry alone. So if there's a person you can worry with, that's the best. Could be a dog as well. You know, lie with your, lie with your dog. So some some living being, if you can, then you turn to things that you have a, a close connection with. So it almost feels like you're with someone. So a piece of music, a piece of literature, a place in nature, a meal, a food. You know, uh, any of these ways that strike your your memory buttons, and and you know you you can enter into the larger something larger than yourself that that's what that's your goal is to feel that you're held in a in a place that's larger than you are and and you know it it really is true in giving we receive you know so if you can get into the giving mode your your worry disappears when you're doing for someone else mothering them serving them working with them you don't worry because you're focused on them you know so if you can Get your focus off yourself onto your children, your friend, your job, your whatever, and and put your that mental energy into problem solving or or what have you. Because when you worry alone, what happens is you catastrophize, you globalize, you get sick, you feel sick. It, it, your musculoskeletal system, your uh, digestive system, your headaches. I mean, 
the, worrying alone is, is really bad for you. And, and so you want to get in the habit of, but the thing again, is it's like, the, it's so seductive. It's very hard to let go of a worry because in a funny way, we like it. You know, in, in a funny way, we, we feel like if we're not worrying, we're in danger because fate will strike us down and prove us who's boss. So we, we try to beat fate to the point, to the punch and worry, what if, what if, what if? And so we're constantly running around trying to keep the entire universe from sweeping us away. And, and we, live, we live in these very apocalyptic uh, places. You know, we are not minor cuts and bruises. We're eradication of the human race, you know, or, you know, total bankruptcy or, uh, you know, a plague upon us. You know, we, so we use, this is again, where we use our imagination to torture ourselves. And, and um, th- that's where having another person can help you gain perspective and, you know, keep your brain from running away with you. Yeah. So is your wife one of those people that can, you can get perspective from? Does she help you bring you back? Totally, totally, totally. We've we've brought it down to shorthand. So I'll tell her this elaborate worry I've got and she'll listen and then she'll look at me and she'll say, you're crazy. (laughs) That's very helpful to me. You see, it's very good. You mean everything I've said just makes no sense. That's correct. You're crazy. And so it sounds like she's insulting me, but I, it, it's tremendously reassuring to know all these worries have no place in reality, that, that the imagination is, you know, and that's what psychosis is, is sort of the imagination gone off the tracks, you know, hearing voices or imagining someone's out to get you. I mean, that's just your, your imagination gone off the tracks. So when she can say you're crazy, I can say, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about it. Now, it took a while before I'd believe her. You know, we've been together for 35 years. So, you know, but it took a while before I'd believe her when she said I was crazy. I'd say, oh, you don't understand, you know, but now I, now I believe her and I say, thank you, sweetheart. That's the best thing you could ever say to me. Yeah. I mean, I think I might be speaking for many of the listeners right now, but I think it's very, um, oh my God, it's, it feels good and validating to hear Ned Halliwell say that he worries hugely as well, because it is part of the way our brain works and it is part of the way, you know, it, it operates. And in a way, this imagination is what brings us, to, you know, we're business leaders, we're entrepreneurs, we're um, creatives, we're innovators, but that also takes us down the other, the other route of the catastrophization. Absolutely. Our, our greatest asset, our imagination becomes our worst enemy, you know, and, and it's sort of the price you pay for having an imagination is the downside. Your, your capacity to, you know, imagine horrific situations and, uh, uh, and, and uh, get stuck in it. And, and the best thing is to have someone in your life like Sue who can just tell you that's crazy. As long as you believe them and trust them, yeah. the bubble gets burst. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you think this is like an evolutionary way of the neurodivergent brain? Do you think we as part of society were sort of made to be the hunters, like, you know, from the book? Um, Are we those people that obviously we're not meant to be followers, we're meant to be the leaders, we're meant to be the ones that are spearheading things and beginning things and innovating? And is that just part and parcel of just the way our brain works that we just from an evolutionary perspective, that's just how it is? Yeah, I think so. We're, We're way more wired to feel fear than love uh, or security. We are geared up to detect that saber-toothed tiger 
or you know we're we're geared up to be aware of danger out there are much more the sensory system muscular ever, everything is much more geared toward anticipating perceiving and dealing with danger than thinking deep thoughts you know or particularly consoling thoughts when you think of what what did nature give us biologically in terms of feeling pleasure well food and sex you know come to mind right away but but then a higher levels pleasure you know i think i think folks like you and me we we access that higher level pleasure through creativity through you know inventing whatever it is we're creating you know uh, it could be a podcast could be a conversation could be you know a book or what that's that's our high level pleasure but there's so many low level you know pits and valleys you know that we can fall into because our nervous system would much rather have us ward off danger than feel pleasure i mean nature really doesn't care if we feel pleasure we care you know and we we're avid about trying to find joy and and we pursue it with wild abandon but uh, nature as long as we're not getting eaten up by a tiger nature you know says okay fend for yourself and and but but nature does give us food and sex and so you know and the capacity i shouldn't be so dismissive the in our imagination the capacity to create and perceive beauty that's something we're really good at and that is a genuine pleasure. I mean, it is, and and for that matter, to perceive the wonderfulness of love. You know, we are much more rhapsodic and and mean it and feel it when we we talk about love or when we you know when we talk about a sunset. I mean, you we have this extraordinary ability through our imagination to perceive uh, and and create and celebrate beauty. You know, all the, think of all the art that's ever been created. That's what it is. It's a celebration of beauty. And, and beauty doesn't just mean something that's pretty. It means something that has order to it. You know, so you're, when you're doing, when you create something, is you're bring, bringing order out of chaos. It's triumph over what scientists call entropy. You know, the, the law of entropy is everything tends to go to the maximum state of disorganization, i.e. chaos. And so what art does is it opposes that. And arranges things so they they have this what William Blake called fearful symmetry, you know, and uh, um, and 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 that's we are driven to that in a way that we can ignore ordinary rewards like like money, food, and sex for for that matter. Yeah, it's interesting because all this is just helping people to understand the way their brains are wired, so they can do the things to help themselves. So you know, for me. I have to be outside in nature. I have to look after myself, make sure that I'm eating well, drinking. And this is every day. It's not just, oh, you do it for like a few days and then, you know, you go back. It's an everyday work in progress. But once we get into this routine and this habit of going, right, I need to prioritize a walk in nature. I need to prioritize making sure I sleep well. I connect with the people that, you know, are, are meaningful to me. I sit down and have time with my, my kids, with my dog. It starts building a life with more meaning. And for me, I think that's where, you know, it starts, you know, taking shape for people with ADHD, especially when it's been undiagnosed for so long, when this, all this chaos, and then, and then we can bring a little bit of order to it in the way that feels good to us. Oh, yeah, we, we need those, uh, those touchstones, those places where we can repose, you know, we can uh, find 
stability in truth and beauty. And these are not just words, you know, they, we really feel these things. We feel the power of truth, for example. We are very mission-driven. Justice. And we, we, we perceive injustice and feel it. We, we want to go oppose injustice. You know, we're sticking up for the underdog. These are drives for us. So when you talk about truth and justice, they sound like words on a plaque. But for us, they're, they're, they're living dynamic forces and injustice. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's a, and unfortunately, with Samuel Johnson put it, we are living in a world bursting with sin and sorrow. You think about that bursting with sin and sorrow. And, you know, he wrote those words in about 1750, and it's even more bursting in 2023. You know, it's, uh, we've discovered all kinds of new ways of sinning and, and finding sorrow, you know. But, and, you know, even that life itself is loss, is sorrow. So, but it's also birth and growth. There's all these opposites. It's one of the things about ADD, it's all these opposites. You can hyper focus and you can space out. You know, you, you can impulsively create something wonderful, or you can impulsively steal. There are all these opposites. You, you can feel wonderful, but your your inner self thinks you're a big fat loser. You know, and and just all. And if you can just realize that it's just parts of the the gizmo, parts of the organism that we are. You know, that we are perplexing and and wonderful. I mean, you know, your audience, uh, just say to them, I would say to them, you know, be glad of who you are, celebrate it and and learn from others, share who you are and share your real self, your true self. Because if you share a false self, that's no benefit to you or the other person for that matter. But sharing your real self, your true self will give you the, the enormously wonderful pleasure of connection, true connection not bogus connection. Yeah, and I think that is beautiful. And so many of us are learning to unmask that we've lived these lives of masking and pretending and trying to see yes. who we are um, because yes. we're not sort of the, the stereotypical woman or the stereotypical mother. But actually, when we get the diagnosis, we're able to to kind of peel away those layers and just be that authentic self. And, you know, what happens is, is there's grief there and the women I speak to, they look back and they say, I can see that in my mum. I see that in my grandma. And they go through the generations and they see what they, that these women weren't able to, to, to have in their life. And so it's a blessing that we have this awareness. Who knows what's going to, yeah, in 10 years time. But what I'd love to finish on is, um, I mean, what do you see the future with ADHD like? I mean, what legacy would you like to leave? And someone that's given so much and written so many amazing books like where would you like to see ADHD you know in 10 years 20 years well I, I would like to see that you know I was uh, someone who led us to jettison the deficit disorder the medical model keep it medical for sure but jettison the the model that stresses pathology and only pathology and instead I'd like to think that I opened it up to include the gifted part and the troubled part that and that that the way to triumph over the troubled part is to focus on the gifted part you know grow the strengths grow the the creativity and you'll crowd out the negative i think people spend too much time dissecting and attending to the negative but what you really build a life on is developed strengths not remediated weaknesses now you in order to develop strengths, you do have to remediate some weakness. So I'm not saying ignore or deny the, the, the downside, but I am saying 
promote, celebrate, develop the upside. I mean, that's that's where the real gold is. It's in the upside, and 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 if you don't see an upside, find someone who does. And and so, you know, I like to think that I'm a sort of a pioneer, and that and that I said no, this 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 bleak deficit disorder. Well, sure, there are those symptoms, but you're ignoring the the amazing feast on the other side of the hill. And we can do things other people can't do. We have magic powers. You know that that's what imagination is. It's the ability to create. You know, so it's making it's making something out of nothing, and that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, and and most of what we make is useless. Maybe even <laughs> you know, but then something comes along that's a gem that's worth the, you know, worth a Nobel Prize. You know, that, <laughs> yeah, takes a few tries. The guy who invented the PCR reaction, which is the test we use for COVID, had flaming ADD, and he did indeed win a Nobel Prize in chemistry for it. Wow. So okay. We can lay claim to Nobel Prize winners, Pulitzer Prize winners, self-made billionaires. Most entrepreneurs have this condition. Uh, but then, so the prisons are full of us and the halls of the addicted and the unemployed, the multiply divorced. So it can be terrible. I've had one patient say to me, if this thing is such a gift, where do I return it? It can make your life miserable. But that's kind of my mission has been to show people how to how to turn it into a gift. Uh, I'm misquoted sometimes as saying ADD is a gift. No, it, it doesn't unwrap itself. You know, So you need, you need to have very attentive, informed, uh, supported uh, unwrapping you know, to, to get at the good stuff. Yeah. And unfortunately, with the way society is, it is a bit of a look of the draw of, of who oh, gets who so gets that, so. the privilege and, you know, who with the education system and, and all these things. But I think having these conversations and being able to make these conversations, you know, out there on a podcast and your knowledge in a book, you know, who knows where all this disseminates and hopefully it gets into the, the, the hands of the people that can make changes and, and help educate and change look, lives. Look at you. Look at you, for an example. You, you have ADD and you've got four children who have it too. And most people say that's enough. You say no. I'm going to go do a podcast. I'm going to share share it with the world, and and you've you've organized, produced uh, th- th- this this thing that it's not easy to do. Believe me, podcasts are not easy to do, and and you you've given your your life's blood to this without neglecting you know your your family at all. I mean, I've heard you talk about them. You're very devoted to them, and but that's we that's another part of our upside is we can get a lot more done. In fact, if we're not busy, if we're not challenged, we're usually not very happy. Absolutely. You know, we, we, we say, bring it on, life. I'm ready for you. Now, you can get too much, true, but, but uh, we're, we're in the bring it on camp as opposed to the I want to lie down and make the world go away camp. We can feel that way now and then, but the main, our main thrust is to grow and celebrate. And it's written all over you. And, and, and it's just wonderful how you've, you've done this. And, and, uh, Thank it's an you. honor for me to come on your show. Oh, my goodness. Well, likewise. And I 100% agree. I think it's striking that balance of keeping ourselves busy and, um, yeah, just having that kind of stimulation, but trying not to burn ourselves out. So it's exactly. constantly this sort of this balance. But um, some it days... so true. It's so true. <laughs> so true. You're doing this all the time. Constantly. Yeah. And it's never quite equal, but on the days that it is, it's like, wow, how do I bottle that? How do I find that? 
I got it for a moment. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What made me laugh, and and then we will finish here, is that um, a few months ago, my husband took all the kids and they all went away for the night. They were all different places. I I was in the house on my own for the very first time, just me and the dog. And the first hour, I was like, oh my God, this is bliss. I can't believe it. Second hour, by literally the evening, I was like, I'm really bored. Where is everyone? This is not what I imagined. And it was lovely, but I prefer the chaos. I prefer the noise and the busyness. Exactly, exactly. That's why we're so at home in today's world, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Dr. Ned, thank you so, so much for being here. Um, I can't wait to air this. I can't wait for everyone to to listen to it again. And it's been an honor. And I will make sure that everybody gets the the link to where to buy the book. Just repeat the book. It's the ADHD Explained. ADHD Explained, yep. And it should be out now. Should be from DK, British publisher. Honestly, thank you so much. I'm, and I really appreciate it because I know that you've not been feeling well. <laughs> you made me feel a lot better. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self healing, self exploration, and most importantly, self acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.